No, I'm not injured. This is not a cane. This is my walking stick. I made this in 2011 at Snow Mountain Ranch here in Colorado. A little bit more of that story will come out, and it's come out in other messages. But a few months before that, the church that we had begun in London, Ontario, we were missionaries starting the church there, Connections Church there, and we just finished our first building project, and the opening weekend, it burned to the ground, and I was at a loss. And we came to Colorado, and I spent a week with my family up there in Snow Mountain Ranch, and one of the projects we did is that we made some of these sticks, and I got RS Loves GS, that's pretty arrogant of me, but it's been pretty true for the past several 22 years, and I got my kid's name here and a Bible verse, and it was during that time that we made the decision that God was releasing us and preparing us and calling us to come to Colorado, and here we are. A stick can represent many things, just as many things in life can be represented by different symbols. If I had the time, I could have gotten a whole table and pulled out a whole bunch of things, and you would have been able to guess what each one of these represented. You know, if I had a stack of books, you would know, oh, that probably represents a teacher, right? If I had a badge here, that could represent perhaps a police officer. If I had here a stethoscope, that would represent a... A doctor, perhaps. If I had scales here of justice, it would re represent a judge. If I had a pitchfork here, it would represent a lawyer. We all know that certain, sorry, lawyers are always such an easy target. This coming from the son of a lawyer and a long line of lawyers. Uh, different fields, different callings become represented by different objects. And these objects can become very powerful. Uh, more than just symbols, but kind of conduits for a lot of meaning, a lot of purpose. Uh, we are going to get into the meaning and the purpose of Moses' staff today. This is a message that I ripped off from somebody ages ago. I don't know if I was at a camp. I don't know if I was a kid. I don't know. But somebody used the verses we're going to get into today, used this simple illustration of the stick, the staff, the rod of God, as it will be referred to later in the book of Exodus. And it has been a message that has always stuck with me, and I pray that it might become symbolic and meaningful in a message that might stick with you, maybe the rest of your life. We are into our, what, now fifth week in our journey through Exodus. We finally met Moses the other week. As soon as we met him, we weren't too impressed. He killed a guy and he ran away. Then last week, we liked Moses again. He got a second chance, and he jumped at it. And we learned a great model of stepping forward in faith through Moses. He saw God at work, and he moved toward God. After he moved toward God, God spoke to him. The encouragement for us is to look and to see where God is at work and to make our move, our move of worship, our move of offering, our move of self-sacrifice, our move of serving towards God. He moved towards God, and God spoke to him. But then God's first words after he revealed himself was, take off your shoes, Moses, for you are standing standing on holy ground. The invitation is for us symbolically, or literally, doesn't matter to me, take off your shoes and move closer to the presence of God. Move from your work 
to his worship and sink your toes deeply into his glory, into his majesty, into his presence. Ground yourself there with God and then be prepared. Be prepared to stand firm or be prepared to make your move with God. And so we learn this wonderful story of how Moses offers himself then when he says, Hinehi, remember? Somebody actually showed me a picture of a friend that actually has that word in the Hebrew tattooed on their foot, which is like if you're going to get a tattoo, that's like a pretty good idea right there. Hinehi, here I am, the offering of oneself to God. Not a statement of position as if God doesn't know where we're at, but the proposition, the offering, here I am, God. Have all of me. Well, as soon as this happens, Moses is about to take another dive, another bit of a turn. And so I'm finding Moses incredibly relatable. He goes from mountaintop to valley. He succeeds. He fails. At least this guy on the platform here relates. So we're going to get into the story again now. We're going to pick up right where we left, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to pick up here in verse 7. And then we're going to lead to the story then of the staff. But here we go. Follow along on screen or in your own Bible. Exodus 3 verse 7. I'm just going to lean on my stick here now for the rest of this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Let's just pause right there. It seems to me that God calls people to greatness. Rather, God calls people to things greater than themselves. To feats, to acts, to missions, to a calling, to do something that seems beyond their capabilities. Certainly at the time of calling. Whenever he calls Abram to become the father of a nation, he's fatherless and pass the age of raising, uh, of giving birth to a child. Whenever he calls Gideon to become a judge, Gideon is currently hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat in hiding from the enemies of God. Whenever he calls Saul to become the king over his people in Israel, he runs and he hides in a shed. Uh, Whenever he calls David then to take the place of Saul to become the king, the man after his own heart, he's the runt of a litter. A shepherd boy wasn't even worthy to be brought before the prophet to see if he was going to be the anointed one. Whenever he calls Elisha, he's a farmer. He's plowing a field with a team of oxen. He's never done anything like what God is calling him to do before. It seems that when God calls us, when he genuinely is calling 
calling us and moving us towards a mission that it is, seems something beyond our capabilities. In fact, maybe that's the litmus test of a true vision and calling from God. It pulls us so out of our comfort zone. It pulls us so out of our strengths where we might claim the glory, we might claim the credit, we might say, I am capable of accomplishing this, that it seems to be the litmus test that it immediately puts us in a place where we know, we know we need to depend on God. Like Moses, he doesn't understand his dependence yet on God, and so thinking out of his own strength, his own abilities, he begins protesting immediately, who am I? Who am I? We're going to have several questions that Moses is going to present to God. But God at the very beginning is giving Moses now the assurance, I am doing this. We keep saying it, but it can't be said enough. It can't be emphasized too much that the story of the Exodus is the story of God and God's work of deliverance, what sets us up for the story of Jesus Christ and the deliverance that we have in him. Moses is but a supporting character as we all are. In the text that we just read over and over again, we come to understand when we soak it in that this is the work of God. What has God said? I have heard my people. I have seen my people. I am coming to my people. I will deliver my people. I am sending you. God is the deliverer. God's plan here. Not Moses's, not mine, not yours, not anyone else's. It is God's plan, God's calling, God's work, and we become the supporting characters. God is inviting Moses and God is inviting us to become a part of his greater purpose and plan and call for the redemption of all creation. And Moses is about to get a lesson in God's power and what God can do through a man fully surrendered, fully submitted to the Lord. As we've said, Moses' life can be broken down into thirds, and very often our life can be positioned in one of these seasons. Moses thinks much of himself in his first 40 years, and then he thinks little and nothing of himself in his next 40 years. And in his final 40 years, his final third, he learns what God can do with nothing. He learns what God can do with a man who surrenders himself, with a woman who surrenders herself completely, fully to God. And this transition is about to begin. God tells Moses what he is going to do. He then informs Moses he is going to do it through him, and immediately the questions come. We're going to deal with three questions that are going to lead us into the story of the staff of Moses. But the first protest of Moses is this, the simple protest. He says, who am I? Who am I? Moses would define himself now as a nothing, as a nobody, as a failure, as a murderer, as a dissenter, a man on the lamb, a man on the run. And yet God is saying, I am calling you to something greater and beyond yourself and beyond how you define yourself and who you are. My wife has recently read a book called The Enneagram. Has anybody here done the Enneagram? Anybody knows that the Enneagram, a couple of us here. How about the Myers-Briggs? Anybody ever done the Myers-Briggs? 
How about the strengths finder? Anybody done the strengths finder? A couple are. How about the disc one? Everybody remember the disc? Okay, we've got a couple of disc people here. You ever do like the one where like you're a lion or you're a retriever or you're an otter or you're a beaver? Anybody? Just say what you are if you know. We got any lions in the house? People are like, what is going on? A couple lions in the house. Any, any, any retrievers? Any retrievers? A couple of friends? A couple otters? I'm an otter. I'm an otter. I'm a playful, happy otter. And then a couple busy beavers. You know, if these things are help, I, I So my wife and I do have an ongoing thing about this. She says I'm a four. And my response was, is four the number that doesn't think these numbers mean anything? And her, and her response was, yes. And I said, okay, then I'm a four. Because there's something in me that just sort of, I don't know, it, it, it just resists. It rejects these things. I don't know. Apparently, that is a part of the four personality type. If these things are helpful for you, wonderful. Let them give you insight into who you are and how God wired you to be, and let that inform and guide and direct you. But before you go to any of these, friends, I just want to give this encouragement to you. Go first and foremost to the Word of God. And learn deeply what the Word of God says about you and who you are. In the Word of God, you are made in the image of the Creator. In the Word of God, you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God. By the Word of God, you are a brother or a sister to Christ, to your Lord and Savior. By the Word of God, you are called to be an ambassador. By the Word of God, you are called to be a conqueror. By the Word of God, you are called to victory in Jesus Christ. By God, the Word of God, you are called to a life of holiness and sanctification. By the Word of God, and this is the one I always end on. This is the one that always gets me. This is the one that I always come back to. By the word of God, you are a saint. How many here, when everybody asks you who you are and you make an introduction, you say, hi, I'm George. I am a saint of the living God. Anybody ever say that? That would, all right, Jonathan, a saint. That would be a conversation killer right there, I can imagine, in most dinner parties. Uh, maybe not recommending that, but maybe in the quiet of your own heart, your own mind, remind yourself of that every chance that you can. I am a saint, sanctified, called, made holy, made righteous, standing in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what the Word of God says about you because that is how God sees you when you stand in Christ. You are a saint, my friends. You are a saint, of the living God, whether you think it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you say it at a dinner party or not, stand in who God says you are. Who am I, Moses says. Who am I? God is going to begin the transformation for him to see himself as a saint, called, known, sent by the living Lord. Then he has another protest. Uh, okay, you're going to do something in me, God. Then he says this. Who shall I say is sending me? We're going to come back to this when we get into the decrees of God. Because we have much to make of the revelation of who God is and the giving of his name. This is an act of offering. This is an act of intimacy. This is an act of knowledge and knowing and being known by God. When God says, 
I am that I am, or I will be that I will be. Anytime you open your Bible and you're doing your devotions or following along in our readings or going through maybe a systematic study to kind of work your way through the Bible, and you come to a passage where you see Lord in all capitals, that is when you are seeing the writing of I am that I am, or I will be that I will be. Do I have any Tolkien fans in the house? Lord of the Rings fans? In the two towers, there comes the time somebody meekly raising their hand. They're, 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 you know, their elvish little pin or something on their lapel there. So whenever we get to the two towers and they're preparing for the big battle, we find that Mary and, uh, uh, wait, I just, uh, Pippin, it's Pippin and Mary, yeah. They are recruiting and bringing help to fight Saruman. And they happen upon in a chase scene, if you've seen the movie or read the book, and they come into the Ents. Do you remember the Ents? They're the tree-like characters, and they are introduced to the leader of the tree of the Ents, Treebeard. Well, as the story evolves, and you have to read the book to get this detail, they're inviting the Ents to join the battle against Saruman. And the Ents all come together, and they get together, and the Ents are tree-like characters. And so they live more like trees and their speech would be more like you think a tree's speech it's slower and at the end of the day mary and pippin ask well are you going to join the battle and treebeard says we've just finished saying hello <laughs> which is a great line as the story goes on they ask treebeard for his Entish name. And he says he will not reveal it to them. For one, he says, you have no patience. He would not have the patience to sit and hear the name, my Entish name, the true name that reveals me. And also because my name is getting longer all the time. Because my name tells the story of my life and I am the longest living creature here in Middle earth. Whenever God reveals his name, he is inviting us to a deeper level of intimacy with him, but he's also revealing the story that is telling us who he is. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of your forefathers. And Moses, I am your God. And I am the God of my people. And I am the God of the covenant. I am the God who brought forth the flood but raised up a new people out of Noah. I am the God who raised up Abraham and bringing forth a nation from him. I am the God who's bringing forth the deliverer, my own son, Jesus Christ. I am the invitation now stands for us, your God. I will be your God and you will be my people. I am your God, George. I am your God, Connections. I am your God. So when God reveals his name and who he is, he's inviting us into an intimacy with himself, but he's also inviting us to join the story of his redemption. He's inviting Moses into the story. And after this, Moses finally just says, but but." What, what if they don't believe me? But what if they don't believe me? And now God has his question for Moses. Let's read it in chapter 4. 
Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from that. Moses, what's in your hand? It's a stick. It's a staff. It's very symbolic of his life as a shepherd. He would use the stick to lean on perhaps during long days out in the sun, watching over a sheep. Maybe he would use the stick to gently move a sheep in the direction he wants it to go. We're told they're pretty dumb animals. I don't know myself. I've never spent any time with sheep. Maybe he would use it to whack a sheep that's getting out of line, or maybe more importantly, to fend off a wolf or a lion or a bear, as young David we did in his shepherd days. It became symbolic of his life. It was certainly practical. It was certainly useful. Certainly became, came to represent a shepherd, especially if this one had a crook on it. We'd all know exactly what it is. But in the essence, it's just a stick, right? It's just a stick that he picked up off the ground one day and started leaning on and guiding him during his long hours as a shepherd. But when God calls Moses to let it go, to surrender it, he's inviting Moses into transformation. In a moment, of course, we will see there's the transformation of the stick into the snake itself, but this itself is more symbolic of the transformation of Moses' character into the shepherd that God is calling him to be. God is telling him, you have been watching over sheep, but now you will be watching over my people. You have been leading sheep, but you will now lead my people. You have provided for your sheep, but through you I'm going to provide for my people. You have cared for and seen over and just sacrificed your life now for 40 years for these sheep, but now now, Moses, if you follow me, if you go with me, all of this will be done in the context of you now serving my people. He's inviting Moses not just to see the transformation of the stick, but the transformation of his own life. But he begins with that one simple directive. What's that in your hand, Moses? A stick? Throw it on the ground. And with that, his transformation begins. If we might use this now as a metaphor for our own lives, I want to ask you what is in your hand this morning. What is in your hand this morning? It's Father's Day, so I want to take some time talking to the dads in the house this morning. Perhaps you walked here this morning literally carrying your child in your hand, maybe dragging them by the hand, or just simply walking hand in hand with your children. If you are wondering what it is God is calling you to do, who God is calling you to be, what your purpose in life is, look no further than the child whose hand that you hold. Because if you have children under your care, you are called to care for them as God would invite you to do. And maybe... If you release your children to God, your children become, can become instruments 
tools, vessels to be used by God. Maybe like Moses releasing his own life, his staff, inviting the transformation of God, your children will become instruments of deliverance. Maybe your children will be the one who will lead people who are poor and oppressed into the glorious freedom and knowledge of life in Jesus Christ. Maybe your children will be the ones who will bring food to the hungry, who will bring water to the thirsty, who will bring freedom to the captive, who will bring justice to those who have been treated unjustly. Maybe your raising your children can lead to glorious things through God in their life. Amen? This is what we need to all be praying for our kids. Dads, dads, you need to be setting the direction for the life of your children. I will not presume to interpret the stats, only to report them. If dad is involved in church and faith and a life of intimacy with God, the chances are the children will as well. Dads, the role you play, I do not presume to interpret or understand all the dynamics that are involved, but dads that know and love Jesus Christ and serve them with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, raise children who know and love and serve Jesus Christ in significant and powerful ways. Dads, give that direction to your kids. Dads, give that affection to your kids that they are all longing for. Let them know they are dearly loved Please hug your kids. Please embrace your kids. Please hold your kids' hands. Please tell them you love them to the point where they're rolling their eyes and walking away. <laughs> and they will. Uh, but give them the affection that they desire. Show your kids a disciplined life of faith. Don't just always think about disciplining them. <laughs> Discipline yourself. Direct yourself. Show them what a life directed at God looks like, and a life disciplined for His glory begins to look like. Invite them into the story of what God is doing. Dads, look no further than your own children to know what God has called you to do. What else is in your hand? Let me just give a few simple illustrations for you to be pondering this week and as we move throughout our Exodus series. As you look in your hand, perhaps some of you see a ring there then look no further than your own marriage to what God is calling you to do. I always say every wedding that I do that the vows are so easy to recite. They only take a few seconds to say, but they take a lifetime to fulfill because it is only at the end of our lives can we truly say whether or not we've lived into the vows that we've made for God. Look no further than that band on your hand uh, to tell you what it is and who it is God is calling you to serve. Love your spouse as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. So look no further than that wedding band. I know for myself I have two rings. I often talk about this, but I have my wedding band on my left hand, and I have a ring with a cross on my right hand. And my wife gave this to me after I got my call to my first church. And that symbolizes not my commitment to Jesus Christ, which I had made whenever I was a child, but my commitment to serve as a pastor as a preacher, as a teacher and leader in the church. And every time I'm feeling discouraged or defeated or wondering what I should do with my life, I look no further than my hand and remember, until further notice, God, I've given my life to your church, just as you gave your life to her 
Maybe some of you look in your hand and you think they seem pretty empty. That can be a good thing. That might mean that you have time in this stage in your life to give to the church, to serve at the church, to be a part of the mission of the church, to go out in the name of the church. Maybe you can give what seems like nothing in that emptiness, that void now in your life is becomes the time that you can commit to the work of God and mission out to a world that needs the hands of Christ. Maybe some of you need to look no further than what your hands will be set towards this week. Maybe your hands will be preoccupied on a keyboard, busily working away in an office. You can still be the presence, the very body of Christ, working in that cubicle, working in that department, working in that building. God has put you there for a reason. Maybe you'll be the one that you pick up a stethoscope or you pick up the books or you pick up the scales of justice or you pick up the badge or you pick up a wrench. I don't know what it is that you will lay your hands to, but whatever it is that you lay your hands on this week, remember the story of the staff of Moses and the invitation to lay it before God. And then the most amazing transformation we begin to see now is from this point forward as we will go through the Exodus story that is no longer called the staff of Moses. But at key points, we are told that it is the rod or the staff of God. And Moses will be called to pick that staff up again. And he will raise it over the Nile. And the Nile will turn to blood. And so will begin the plagues that will lead to the softening of Pharaoh's hard heart that will eventually lead to the deliverance of the people before his heart gets hard again. That same rod will be stretched over the streams of Egypt and the frogs will come forth. That same staff will be stretched over the dust of the ground, it says, and the gnats will swarm up and plague the people. That same staff then will be stretched over the Red Sea and the wind of God will come and part the water so that people can be led into deliverance. That staff will be held high with the help of his brothers and the people of God will defeat their enemies. That staff will strike a rock and water will spring forth, giving life to the people in their thirst at the turns where God is moving his people forward, that staff of Moses becomes the staff of God, which becomes symbolic of the deliverance of his people. But it began with Moses opening his hand, releasing that which was his, that which symbolized and signified his life and his surrendering it to God. I invite the team to come forward and they're going to get ready to take us out in some worship. But I love this story, this image of people surrendering what it is in their hands to God and how God is able to use that for his work of deliverance and his plan of redemption for his people. God will look over to Miriam, Moses' own sister, and he'll see a tambourine. And she will lead the people in the songs of praise and worship as they're led into deliverance, into the promised land. He'll look at a young boy named David who's holding but a slingshot and a few stones. And he'll use it to defeat a giant to lead people into the next stage of freedom. He'll look at Elijah with his hands on that simple plow. And in the surrender and the sacrifice of that, he will then make him into the mo one of the most powerful prophets 
for the people that God has ever called. As we move into the story of the New Testament, so the story continues of people being invited to look and see what they have in their hands and to offer it to God whenever the time comes to feed a multitude to which Jesus was preaching. He said, what do you have? And all that they found was a young boy willing to look into his hands and see a simple sack lunch, but his willingness to surrender it to God became the feeding of the multitude. When it came time for Jesus to be prepared for his own death, burial, which would set him up for his resurrection, which would set him up for life, it fell upon Mary, who held a jar of perfume to prepare him for his burial. What is in your hand? Whatever it is that is in your hands, that is at your disposal, that you are willing to control, that is what God is simply asking you to sacrifice, to surrender, to let go, and offer to him. Let me pray for us, friends. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this simple but powerful image that has stuck with me for a lifetime. This constant, constant reminder that whatever it is that you've put within my reach is what you're asking me to give to you. Whatever it is that you've put within my grasp, is what it is you're asking me to open to you. And so, I invite now for all of the people of God gathered here to look at what you have put within our reach in the coming days and weeks, to look at what, what is in our grasp and to invite us to surrender it to you, to see what you might make of it. God, what can you make of this work that I do in this cubicle? What might you make of this work that I do with this wrench? What might you make of this work that I do while I wear this badge? What might you do with this work that I do while holding the hands of my children? What might you do with these things that we hold, Lord? We hold them no longer for ourselves, but we release them to you for their transformation, and for our transformation. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship God.